we go to these two schools, these two elementary schools that we sponsor um, at, at their lunchtime for their for their teachers. So their teachers don't have to sit with the kids all the time. <laughs> they get to take a break. And we, we we're in there opening up the little milk containers and throwing away the trash and hanging out with the five year olds and the 10 year olds. And, you know, they're telling us one kid told me he could fly the other day. Um, and so we're doing that and serving those teachers so they can have one day of of you know, adult conversation over lunch. Um, we've also gone to a place for hope to help with those. Um, that program there, we volunteered at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Um, one one family is having college students over, I think, weekly to give them a free meal, which is awesome. Nothing like a free meal when you're in college. Ramen noodles get really old. And I used to go to the uh, I used to go to the gas station across the street and and eat hot dogs. Um, you know the you know the inside these little light things and it just rolls and it's like red and it just the 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 the, um hot dogs are literally this red you know they're just nasty but at at 12 midnight whenever you're eating at charleston southern the food went really good then you're starving they're the best hot dog in the world um i used to do that and so if i had somebody inviting me over weekly i used to honestly try to find out the churches that were having the potlucks for for lunch afterwards and that's where i go to church just so i could get a free meal um so we're doing that um we're offering free babysitting to some of the couples so that couples can go out and have a date night. Um, some of the seasoned moms are helping some of the younger moms learn how to um, even do things like help their babies go to sleep all throughout the night. And you don't know, but I mean, I'm telling you, when your child starts sleeping through the night, you become sane again. And so it's a great thing that that's happening. Um, we're helping neighbors with various things around their house. So we're doing well, is my point. We have lots of things. I didn't even know we had all these things going on. So we have lots of things going on in our church. Um, and so I want to encourage you, keep it up. And as we look at this, perhaps as we're looking at this text, maybe we'll see some more things that, that would say, you know what, I can go do that. I can go do that. And so um, we want to be the kind of church where we have so many things going on missionally in the community that there's just no way that we can keep up with it because everybody's so much on mission for serving the city and as we're serving the city meeting physical needs we're we're desiring to meet their their greatest spiritual need which is christ that we don't even know what's going on everybody's just on mission every day um that's that's i don't even want to be like i wouldn't i want so much going on that i couldn't come up here and tell you at all it would take me the whole service so i want to say we're doing well and we want to keep that up now we're going to be looking at widows here and so um, my fear with talking about widows is you're like, I don't even know a widow. Um, maybe one of you might know one and many of you are going to think, I don't know that this is going to directly apply to me. How, um, I know, well, I know that everybody woke up this morning th- thinking to themselves, you know, I'm really hoping today at church, they teach us the guidelines for enrollment for care for widows in the church. That's really, that is going to bless my heart this morning. That is going to teach me all about the gospel. And I am going to be so focused on, I know you woke up, and obviously we didn't. So my goal is, as we're thinking about that this morning, um, how can I keep your interest when, as we're talking about widows? Now, first of all, I want you to see, and this is just a few verses, um, 103 times the Bible mentions widows. 103 times. I'm just going to show you a few times that the Bible does have a special interest in widows. Um, this is in Acts chapter six, um, the, the very first deacons, the office of deacon, um, the very first deacons were actually set up. The whole office was set up 
to meet a need for widows. It was because of widows that this office was created in Acts chapter 6. This is what it says. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's just the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews, that's the Hebrew-speaking Jews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the Greek-speaking Jews' um, widows weren't getting as much food as the Hebrew-speaking Jews' widows. And so these Hellenists, or these Greek-speaking Jews, felt like they were kind of being neglected. And the twelve disciples some of the full number of the disciples and said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables therefore brothers pick out from you among among you seven men of good repute fill the holy spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty so you can see the very first office of deacon was actually created because of widows so we see widows are important to us now there's another place here in james um this is pretty this is pretty big it says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world so again we see that um, real religion seeks after to help those that are um, the outcasts of society poor um, orphans or widows this is another place in Psalm 68, 5. This is the last one I'll read. It says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So God truly does care about widows. <clears throat> Jesus, even um, as he was teaching, if you remember, he, uh, when he was teaching the disciples, there was a widow that came in and put two, well, for us, pennies, but it's not pennies, but two, put two pennies in. And he used her as an illustration to teach them how we should give. You remember that? And even on the cross, as he's dying, he's looking down at his mother, who's probably a widow by now, because we know that because he tells John to take care of her. So he doesn't, I mean, Joseph, why would he tell John to take care of her if Joseph had been gone? So even on the cross, Jesus is thinking about a widow, his mother. And so um, widows are important to, um, to God, and he wants us to, to think about them and care for them. Let's read the text here. It says, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children, so now he's going to give us a little bit of definition on what that means. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. So here we are. How can this text on widows apply to you directly? Here's how. Because every one of you will have to do this. What he's saying is the church should take care of widows. But only those who are truly widows. If there is a widow who has children and grandchildren that can actually take care of her, those children and children, as it says right here, should make some return. What that means is talking about financial. That children and grandchildren, if you have a mom or grandmother who is a widow, that family is the primary person to take care of them. They should make some return financially back to her for the lifetime that she supplied to you all of your food, all of your clothes, all of your needs, all of your soccer games and whatever you went to. Um, you now, if she's a widow, should make some return. So how does this apply? Every one of you, every single one of you will have a parent at, at some time in your life. More than likely, that will be a widow, whether it's your dad or your mom. So one day, all of us are going to have to follow this, this commandment and take care of our parents. Um, whether it's your mom or your dad. And, and that may even be the case now for some of you. Um, it's not primarily the job of the church first, as we'll see. This, this sounds a little like, really? Is that, is that what he's saying? It sounds a little harsh. But he's saying that the, the church needs to take care of, which we'll see in just um, later on. The church needs to take care of those who are actually truly widows. Um, look what he says. 
But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn first to show godliness to their household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications as prayers, prayers day and night, night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things so that, that they might be without reproach. So what he's saying is um, in the first part of that, you should take care of your parents. This is an old Dutch proverb, and, and I don't know if this is true, but if this is true, this is pretty sad. He says, it seems easier for one poor father to bring up 10 children than for 10 rich children to provide for one poor father. We wouldn't want that to be the case in our church. The key issue here is the fifth commandment, that you should honor your father and mother. Um, we want to honor our parents so that they, if they have supplied for us our entire life, when they become widows, it is our job primarily, not the churches, to take care of them. Um, and then it says here afterwards, um, in verse 6, uh, well, let me read it five. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, continues in supplications and prayers day and night. That's the one we should take care of. But look at what it says here um, in verse six. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, meaning this is the woman who became a widow, but kind of left the faith, left everything. Her faith to her is even dead. And she's walked away from the faith and says, even while she lives. Command these things as well so they, that they may be without pr- reproach. There will be the case where some of these ladies, as they get older, older, will, if they become widows, will basically want to make themselves back on the dating scene rather than just saying, all right, you know, it's time for me to um, realize that I'm supposed to serve the church in this stage of my life. And we're going to look at this in just a minute um, later on, which ones. Paul's going to tell us in verse 9, 60 years old, remain, remain unmarried. Under that, the young, ones that are younger should get married, etc. Um, but before we do that, we'll need to go to verse 8. And I want to take a little bit of a, of a brief moment to look at verse 8 in and of itself. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, in context, this is the... The basically the opposite of verse four and verse four is saying children, and grandchildren, you should make return to your parents. So if you don't, what he's saying is that if you're the kind of child or grandchild that does not do this, you, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, but I think every man here should memorize this because there's also application for every dad here. And this is what I mean. Um, the man is the one who's primarily been given the responsibility by God to lead and provide for his family. He should take care of his wife. He should take care of his children. He should take, take care of his mother as well, even his mother-in-law. A man should always work. He should never be lazy. He should not try to um, just get by. He should not depend on his wife to provide for him. He is the one that should primarily be the one who's making the money. And this is just historically rooted in Genesis. Let me, let me read you just a couple places. One is pre-fall and one is post-fall, just so we can see um, that work isn't just some kind of, um, work isn't just some kind of like this. Now you got to work because you fell and because you sin. It's not some kind of consequence of sin. Look in, in two. This is Genesis two. I'll just read it to you. In two fifteen, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So even before the fall, 
God has designed that men would work. Now, after the fall, in Genesis 3, whenever God says these are the consequences, now he gives women pains in childbirth, and this is what he says to men in chapter 3. Um, he says, he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat, not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. Now, listen to the, there's two words where he talks about here. In pain, you shall eat all the days of your life. Work, it's called work for a reason. It's supposed to be work. Men are not supposed to be lazy. It is supposed to be a hard thing to provide. Look what it keeps going. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth um, for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and, and, and to dust you shall return. Every man should memorize this and should know that it is your job to provide for your family. It is God ordained. And, and even in the age to come, when, when everything is renewed and we're in the new heavens and new earth, there will still be work. Um, God has created us to work as men, to be providers. So um, our job is to make money so that we can spend it on our wife and our children, primarily. Of course, we have to eat as well. We have to have clothes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you should be the one, the one that's the last to spend it on yourself and more on them. That's the way God has designed it. Um, you should not have family members in need in your household and you keep spending money on the next latest gadget and the next latest iPhone or computer, etc. And you have kids that need to eat and, and need coats for winter and clothes that they need to wear or food that they need or whatever. They need book bags for school. Um, there's balance here. Um, there is balance. Um, you don't, what I'm not saying is that you should spend all your money on them and make them spoiled brats. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, we want them to be good stewards of God's money. And I'm not saying that you should totally neglect yourself and not give yourself anything, that you should wear ratty clothes and holes in your clothes and, and smell bad because you don't even want to waste water for shower so you can spend all your money on them. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, I mean, <clears throat> you should have things. I know you've got to have things to live. But your, primarily, your primary responsibility is to take care and provide for your wife and your family. Now, I want you to know what, why I say that. Look what it says. Um, you need to really hear and feel the indictment towards men here. Listen to what he says. If this is the case, he doesn't provide. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Um, it's not saying it's like you've denied the faith. He literally is saying you have denied the faith and you are worse than than an unbeliever. So if you're the stay-at-home dad forever, and, and I know there's seasons where, especially in this economy, where you lose, um, lose your job and, and things like that, but on the whole, your whole husband ministry and, and father ministry is that you are the provider. And I know there's exceptions, and I'm not saying that there can't be exceptions, but on the whole, you are the one that is to provide, to be the one that makes the money, that works hard, um, by the sweat of your brow. If you're not doing that, if you're staying home and you know watching your soaps and playing your video games and doing your laundry, then you've denied the faith. You're missing the point. Um, this is what this is what I let me conclude by saying this. I'm not saying you don't love your family. I'm not saying that. Of course you love your family, but the Bible is showing us here. That this is most one of the, one of the ways that this is most made manifest is that 
you are going to have evidence of provision for your family as a, as a dad. That's the way that your love is, is one of the ways that your love is most made manifest to your wife and to your children. Um, the ESV study Bible says provision for one's own family is a spiritual issue of utmost importance. Failure to live out the gospel in this way is tantamount to a denial of the faith. Um, so let me let me let me tell you what my big idea here is. As we're looking at relationships and as we're looking at how dads interact with their families and how um, we as a church should interact with with widows. This is my main idea. The gospel and it alone should shape our thinking and should be the motivating factor of why we do what we do. Not pragmatics. Not just tradition. The, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to say I want you to hear it. The gospel and it alone should shape our thinking and should be the motivating factor of why we do what we do. Not pragmatics, not what we think would just work, and not tradition. So back to this. Our first thoughts as dads should be to take care of our our children and our wives. Um, I've got three children. My youngest, his name is Aiden. Um, He's got this weird addiction. Already, I mean, he has formed an addiction, and it's, it's it's strange. And you can test it out if you're ever around him. If anything, um, like anytime we ever give him a blanket or a pair of pants or a shirt or anything, um, as soon as he gets it, he just starts like searching like a madman all around it, trying to find a tag. It, if it has a tag, he, he's as happy as he can be. He's searching all around. He finds a tag. And as soon as he grabs a tag, he starts rubbing it with his fingers and sucking his fingers. Like, it doesn't matter. So if he's ever crying, we just give them. I, I present the blanket to him tag first. And he just, and he calms down. But anytime I ever give, I'm, I'm not kidding. If I'm changing his diaper and I take off his pants and I just throw his pants up there, I'll look up and he'll, he'll grab the pants and reach over there and grab the tag. And just, I'll look over in the back seat. He has his hat inside out grabbing the tag. He pulled all the cushions off the couch and there was a tag there. He sat down beside it, rubbing, rubbing the tag and sitting there on, on the couch with no cushions. Like he's got this weird, crazy addiction. But anytime he's around there, the first thing he just he just dives after and goes after is that tag. It's the first thing on his mind. And in that same way, as dads, as fathers, the first thing on our minds is provision. We're going to show our love by provision, but we are going to seek providing this is what god has told us as dads but we're supposed to work we're not supposed to be lazy and, and we're going to provide for our families it's the first thing I, it's, one, it's one of the first things i wake up thinking and the, one of the last things i think i think about um when i'm thinking about family outside of my, my relationship with god and thinking about um pursuing him the first thing i'm thinking about is my family providing and taking care of them and that's just the way it's supposed to be as dads that's just the way it's supposed to be as husbands um so now let's move on and now we're going to talk about the enrollment process for widows. The enrollment process. In verse 9, it says, Let a widow be enrolled. And then it's going to give some, some parameters on what should happen here. Let a woman be enrolled if she is um, less than 60 years of age, which was uh, for then at that time a pretty old age, having been um, the wife of one husband, which just basically means, um, again, this is interesting. This wife of one husband is the exact same phraseology, but just switched as it is in, in first, first Timothy 3, husband and one wife. Um, and so, as, as I said in First Timothy 3, when we're talking about the qualifications, that means that um, she's faithful 
to her husband that she has right now. She's, she's not cheating on him. She's not running around. She is faithful to her husband. Just like that means in, in the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. That he is faithful to his wife. He loves only her. And he only has one wife um, at a time. Um, and that I'm not, I'm not by any means um, being a proponent of divorce at all. I have a strict, strict view on that, which I won't go into at all. But here, this is saying... Um, the husband, the, the wife of one husband, which is the exact same language construct as husband and one wife, which means that she's faithful um, and that she's having. So she's been 60 years old. She's faithful to her husband, the, the wife of one husband, having a good reputation for good works. It doesn't mean that she couldn't have been married at 20, then married at 30. And that guy died and she got married again or, or whatever. And then now she's 60. Oh, you've been married twice. Sorry, you can't qualify. That's not what it's saying. It's that she's faithful to her husband, um, having a good reputation for good works. If she has brought up children and shown hospitality, meaning she's been one of those women in the church, the older women who's looked out for the younger women, like in Titus 2 and in these first couple of verses. She's been a woman in the church that's been a pillar. She's been one that's been a, a matriarch to help out. Um, she has washed the feet of the saints. That means she's been a humble servant in her life. She's cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself for every good work. That's the qualifications, basically. That's, that's who she is. Um, those women can enroll for help from the church. And we'll see also, um, which we've already talked about in the very t- bottom, which we'll see again. And, and that's also, um, if you look in verse, six, verse 16, if a believing woman has any relatives that are widows, let her care for them because we don't want the church to be burdened. So if relatives can care for her, then we don't want the church to be burdened. That the, the idea is that we want the church to be able to care for the ones who need it the absolute most. That's really the general rule. I know there's exceptions. Um, these, my children could care for me. They're millionaires, but they just won't take care of me of, me of all. We're not going to say, sorry, you've got rich kids. We're not going to take care of you. Um, there's exceptions, of course, but the idea is the ones that need it the most, let's take care of them. All right. Now, in verse 11, it, it kind of switches over here <clears throat> to young widows. Um, and it talks about why they might not be enrolled in the care of, of, of the church. Now, this enrollment is a two-way helping process. Um, in verse 9, where it says, um, let the widow be enrolled, it's not just like she's going to come, get her check, and go home. This enrollment is a two-way helping process, where she's now saying, I'm going to come, make a pledge to the church to help and serve and, and do things for the church, and for that, you're also going to take care of me. It's a two-way helping process. Um, we can see that as we're going into this next part, where it says, but refuse to enroll younger widows, And he's going to say why for when their passions draw them away from Christ. Now, it makes it sound like, um, well, let me just read it. When their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. What it's it's making it sound like is if if there's a younger widow and she wants to all of a sudden get married, she's like wrong. That's bad. She's she's running away from Jesus. She doesn't even love Jesus anymore because she wants to get married, which is not the sense, because if you look at 14, Paul says, I would have younger widows marry. So he doesn't he's not saying that just because you go get married, you're you're walking away from Jesus. Keep the pledge in mind. What if we enroll a widow, there's a two way process here where she's coming to serve. She's pledging to work. But if we enroll her and all of a sudden she finds herself wanting to get married, that pledge she's made to work for us, she's going to leave. And all of a sudden we don't have someone to work for us anymore. And that's more what it's saying is that refuse to to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, meaning from the service or the, the pledge that she's made to the church to help, not away from Jesus and her love of Jesus. Um, and they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. It's meaning when they walk away and they do that, 
everybody in the community sees she made a pledge. She's no longer a woman of her word. We don't want that. So Paul says, instead of that happening, I would have younger widows marry. I would have them bear children, manage their households and give um, give the the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. So um, what this means is this practically. Um, There will be widows in our church, younger widows, tragedy. We don't want that. We don't welcome that. We don't desire that. But there will be as well as there in the same idea, single moms. And so just like Ruth, who's waiting for her precious Boaz to come and redeem that situation. um, Men, as you're here in the church and you see younger widows or even single mothers, um, don't put God in a box in the way that he's supposed to deliver your wife to you, that you're going to have the 20 year old that's never been buried, that doesn't have kids. There's going to be times where you're going to have to be just like Boaz and redeem that situation, just like Jesus, our precious Boaz, redeemed us out of our horrible, sinful situation. They need to be redeemed. They need to see the gospel as well. Remember, my key from this from the very beginning is this. Um, The gospel and it alone should shape our thinking and should be the motivating factor of why we do what we do. Not pragmatics, not tradition. Every situation in life, even um, a man marrying a young single mom to redeem that whole situation, puts the gospel on display. Pragmatically, you don't think that way. Traditionally, you don't think that way. Gospel-like, you think that way. Because our job... Um, is to try to live out the gospel as much as we can. In the same way that Jesus, our precious Boaz, redeemed us, men need to be the kind of redeeming Boazes that would go out and redeem this situation, this widow or this young single mom, bring them in and be a good dad, be a good wife in this situation. Um, We are, as a church, actively always supposed to be living out the gospel for a world that doesn't understand the gospel. And we do that by redeeming situations just like Jesus redeemed us. Now, let's look at this. Um, verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let them let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are really widows. And here's the point. The church is not just to have good theology. The church is not just to have good theology. But we are to be actively trying to live out the gospel in every aspect of our lives. Whether that's serving older widows who need to be um, brought in and taken care of. Or marrying younger widows so that they can be redeemed. Um, Or or the way we interact with older women and younger men and younger men or whatever. The gospel is always supposed to be on display. Um, We are actively trying to live out the gospel in every aspect of our life. And when we do this, we try to live out the gospel in our families, in this community, in the city, in this church. We're always wanting to live it out practically so that people can see it. We don't need to just have good theology. We need to live out our theology being gospel-like in the way we think, being gospel-like in the way we live. And when we do this, this is how lost people around us get saved. Because they see the gospel being real in our lives, in our hands, not just being spoken by our lips with our good theology. But they see it because we're living it out actively, 
We're desiring to see every single situation redeemed by the gospel, which puts Jesus Christ on display, not our preferences, not our desires, but Jesus, because our life is about his glory and not about our own comforts. It's about his name and his fame being spread by the gospel, not us being happy with our selfish ways. We'll be happy most in the gospel, but not happy in ourselves. So that's what this text is about. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. I thank you for your Bible. I thank you that you've given us scriptures. I thank you that you've given me an opportunity that I can come here and I can teach your scriptures. Lord, I pray that um, even a text where we look at widows and relationships in the church, that we would all see it's, it's there. It's so clear that we would all see the gospels everywhere in the text. These aren't just practical pieces of advice that we can choose to follow or not follow. This is Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, communicating to us. Here's how you live out the gospel. This isn't just going to make your life better. This is going to make the world see the gospel, know the gospel, want to see Christ as precious in our lives so that they can have Christ as precious in their lives. So, God, I pray that you would help us. Because this doesn't come naturally. This isn't intuitive living for me. I am, at my core, a very selfish person. And perhaps those here might feel the same. And so I pray, God, that by the power of your Spirit, you would turn us away, even if it's slowly, that we would see it, we would see the sanctification, the progressive sanctification that happened in our life. We'd turn away from selfishness and start turning towards gospel living, seeking to redeem situations in every place. And so I know, I know that there's places in our, in, in, in my life and in people's here, here today, that our lives where there's areas that we don't want to turn over. There's areas that if we turned over, the gospel would be put more on display, but we don't want to do that because we love that part of our life. And so I pray Lord that you would change our hearts, that we would see Jesus as our glorious Boaz And how he changed our situation and redeemed us. And that we would want to do that in every situation in our life. Giving that away to you so that you're put on on display. It's hard, God. It's it's difficult. It's hard to see those. It's hard to repent of those. It's hard to confess those. It's hard to be selfless. But by the power of the Spirit, I pray that you would do that in our lives this morning. May we always be seeking to be repentant. May we always be seeking to live out the gospel. I pray these things in Jesus' name.